something else which actually comes up is non-belief usually within black families right is there's actually a lot of things in black families that are interpreted as being from the white man you know people will tell you um i know where this is going (laughs) you know where this is going right but like you'll often be told that like hey that that, that's a white people thing stop thinking like white people etc right but Mm There seems to be this idea in not just in individual families but in the larger black community there seems to be this this overarching idea that one cannot one cannot be black be pro black and take on all the all the things that you would want from a black person understanding their their positioning in the world as it were right now one cannot do all those things and not believe in god at the same time right so for me this is this is this is a problem for me right now right and it's a problem to the degree that every black atheist i know every non-believing black i know right is almost generically very divorced from the black community these are not people that spend a lot of time with other black people as a predominant group these are people yeah. that and it's it's almost like clockwork that when you when at some point when you when you stop believing you now you, there's no longer a space for you in the black community. There's no longer a place for you to just be and operate without being held in a antagonistic <clears throat> light to those around you. It's almost like, um, like sometimes it's tantamount to saying that you're like a face front plus supporter or some shit. I don't know. Yeah. But like, so I don't know. How do you, how do you, how do you, what do you think about this? How do you, how do you so, view this problem? <clears throat> So it, it, it all boils down to, to something you said a little earlier. Almost everything, um, as, far as, as far as faith within, within the black community, I'd even go as far as saying pretty much everything is viewed through the lens of, of whatever religion, whatever faith, whatever denomination, however many there are. Everything, everything from <laughs> from a random accident that happens to you to a random decision that you might make or pre or even premeditated decision that any person makes mm. every single thing within a person's life is viewed through the lens of faith so and and if 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 you know anything about the bible which a lot of us <laughs> which a lot of us do is that you moving away from faith to to the eyes of someone who is within that faith and heavily steeped within that faith it 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 can be viewed as a new as any of of um a couple of things it could be you have now been seduced by the by by the fleshly world mm. and associating you i mean i i can't remember the phrase exactly but um but to paraphrase the phrase with, from from within the Bible, um, it, it pretty much says, "Do not do not associate with people who are not of your yoke." And that essentially is 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 um, the rise of what 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 you just mentioned. Um, that essentially gives rise to people who move away from faith, essentially being either shunned from a community or their family situation. Or them moving away of their own volition because ultimately they don't feel comfortable within that space because they cannot engage on any level that is devoid of faith. 
because the rest of the community use everything through faith. And when, 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 when that is the case, any disagreements based on something that isn't of faith, is, it's difficult to engage because ultimately there is no other view aside from faith within the black community. It's, I don't know, it's, it's difficult. And, and, and I guess that's, that's what makes it even more difficult because being a person who, who, is, who goes through the change of, or even the, 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 the position of, of um, questioning things in life. Because um, one of the greatest things that, that you can do as a person is to question things. Mm. Questions give rise to understanding, they give rise to context, and they expand your horizons. But as a person growing up, finding questions within, within yourselves and finding answers that don't necessarily satisfy the question, but clamp down on those questions, that is a very uncomfortable thing. Like to the point to the point where where you yourself are essentially at war at war with yourself, at war with who you are within the family. It's yeah, it's it's a very difficult space. So not to cut um our white brethren or, or atheists any slack here, right? Because the thing that you're mentioning now about how it's very difficult to go against. Basically, it's like it's it's very difficult to go against the current, right? To be the person that wants to behave differently, right? Yeah. A problem that you often end up finding um, in the atheist community, because the atheist community in South Africa that exists is almost entirely a, a white community, right? It's basically like Dota as it stands right now. <laughs> <laughs> One of the problems you end up finding is there's this expectation that. Once you become an atheist, or once you become a non-believer, once you leave any given faith, right? There's the expectation that you're supposed to view... conform to certain things yes. as an atheist. Like the yes, but like that that, conf- that conforming is you're supposed to view the entire project of faith as entirely an idiotic enterprise, right? Like there's a reason the trope exists. You shouldn't be able to find merit in it. No, at all. Like there's a reason the trope of the militant atheist exists, right? Because a large majority of people who become atheists, um, especially white men, tend to be very militant about it, right? And very dogmatic even in how they communicate themselves um, with the wider world, right? Now, in your view, right? So this is something that I, I felt way back then. I don't necessarily feel this way now. But I used to feel that the communication from some people from, from non-believers, right? And how like how vitriolic and how acrimonious the conversations were with them about their non-belief, right? Very combative. Very combative, and it tends to push you away from listening to them, right? And you actually can't talk to them because these are not people that generally tend to brook disagreement. It's either, it's either you agree with them or you're an idiot, and there's, there's no nuance in how they view this problem or how they view that position, right? So... Mm-hmm. In your own experience, right? Have you? I'm sure you've you've had encounters with some militant atheists before, right? How do you view this particular problem of the inability? Um, all right, let me rephrase this. How do you view the fact that usually these these white dudes that are talking shit about any person's given belief, right? 
do you think that this is actually stifling the conversation in such a way as to reinforce even the worst aspects of the black community's belief because because of how bad the communication is from people that don't believe well, I guess this 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 comes down to human condition thing because because if you look at if you look at the group you are you are referencing now the militant atheists uh, they're basically engaging in in the thing they fought not to become because ultimately one of the reasons that people usually move away from faith is because of how how absolute discussions end up becoming microphone in, muted in, in the space where you're talking to someone who is who is um <clears throat> who is deeply faithful who is deeply religious usually they're down to the letter everything's black or white this is right and wrong this is this is good and evil and when it comes to the militant atheist it becomes a matter of this is right this is wrong this is this is the correct way to view things. This is the stupid way to view things. So it becomes a matter of it, it's it's a it's 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 like two opposite ends on one coin, right? On one end you've got you've got the you've got the extremely religious person who views everything within a black and white lens that says every this is good, this is evil, this is right, this is wrong, this is good, this is sin. And then you've got you've got the militant atheist who who will talk down. And I think this is, this is part of the biggest problem, I guess, and it, and it translates to, to different spheres, to different groups, um, even beyond religion, mm. that people talk down. And that's maybe, actually, that's probably one of the, one of the, one of the prime, primary reasons I find it hard to, to, uh, to put myself in any box or give myself real labels as far as, as far as, um, where I stand currently, it's purely down to how how a person gets uncomfortable being associated with the extremes of any of these groups. Mm. Well, extremism is, yeah, um, this is also a problem just in general because extremists tend to be very passionate. They get very energized and. And it's a minority. Keep in yeah. mind that, that extremists are minorities, but but they these are the, these are the people who who speak the loudest. Mm -hmm. To give an <laughs> because example, because their words are unfiltered. Yeah, um, I think the, one of the best contemporary examples of how extremists can drive a conversation in such a way as to make it to make their particular form of um, of understanding or their form of belief appear to be the mainstream is with feminism right so yep you have a situation That's actually the first thing i thought about it, it really is like it's if you're on twitter right mm -hmm. if you're on twitter or social media or you just in in loud in spaces where people are speaking loudly about feminism you will you will end up believing that all feminists hate men that um feminists see effectively every action that a man takes as being um indicative of rape culture um you'll end up thinking that Basically, feminism is about hating you as a white man, right? Well, not you particularly, but just hating white men, talking trash about men in general, and seeing women as the, the pure beings and the, the future of humanity, as it were, right? However, when you, 
when you leave those spaces and you get into contact and individual relation with like feminists as a whole, you'll find that that's not really the case. People don't uh, actually a wide gulf between between um, between the real community. You find that that is comprised of feminists mm. versus versus that interpretation of feminism. Yeah, like basically, I think that the the best way to crystallize it, right is that you can find a situation. It's the difference between Chimamanda, right, and Gozia Dichi, and Huffington Post comment section. It's yeah. like. Ooh. Half post comment section. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Wow. 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 Now, as much as I think that it is really bullshit, right? That every white man, um, or every man in general who's opposed to, fe- who, who thinks he knows what feminism is, right? <clears throat> seems to have this idea that um, the whole world is out to get him. There's gang persecution against them. Just this entire victimhood complex, right? I've actually never you will not find a group of people on the planet right now who are as victimized in, 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 in their mentality as white men. White men, oh my God, you would, you, you would think that a Holocaust just fucking finished, how these guys so, talk about what's happening. So, so I, have, I, have, I have a few thoughts about that, mm. about potentially where it comes from. I, yeah, I think, I think I'll, I'll focus on potentially where it comes from. So, so ultimately... Um, to a person who's lived, who who lives the ideal, the ideal, the ideal life in the sh- in the shoes of of a white man. Mm-hmm. Um, now, when I say that, people need to understand that while I do think this is the majority of the experience, it does not necessarily mean that it is it is everyone's resounding experience. But when when you can't relate to it, I think maybe it, it comes down to to being able to relate, to to or even empathize with another person's experience when it is so extremely different. Mm-hmm. Um, so, right out the bat, um, in most cases, when 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 a black person is is relating an experience of of their life to a white man. Usually, a lot of it seems preposterous. Like, uh, <laughs> like a resounding majority of that, of that narrative that is being explained by the black person, the woman, by the Indian person, just any any experience that is different from the white man's experience seems completely alien, and they can't relate to it. And when when their ideal life, or life, or, or even a life of perceived hardship from their side doesn't seem as 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 hard in contrast to the lived experience of a black man the lived experience of a woman and and the list goes on but it doesn't seem um like it's like it has that much hardship for one explaining that the experience the the fact that the experience of a white man or and a black man or woman or woman of any color is is this different? Explaining that that alone being a thing is a problem feels like an affront. Because mm-hmm. what does it mean? It means to the to the white person you're telling them, you're telling them that your ex- your experiences that are not sh- the fact that we don't share them, your experiences 
are potentially because of an advantage that you have that we don't have. To them, it then seems like, okay, the black man, the woman, whatever other group, it seems like from the word go and they exp- when they explain these experiences to them, it seems like they want to take away this advantage from them because that's their normal. That's their normal lived experience. And when, when, when it feels like, when someone feels attacked, their, their default stance is to be defensive, to either dismiss entirely these these um, experiences as maybe not the not the normal experience of a black man or a woman or any other group that may be marginalized in some capacity, whether it is within within their communities or within the workforce. So it feels like an affront to them. Mm. I that think, is the problem. I think as well, um, it feels like an affront, but it also feels like you're telling someone that they are only where they're at because they've had it easy. Nobody likes feeling like yeah. they were handed anything, right? People yeah. with good reason enjoy having a sense of personal responsibility. You're able to own your circumstance. You can own your life, right? You can, you can look around you, look at everything you have or don't have and say concretely that this is entirely due to my own efforts. This is entirely due to, um, this is entirely due to the work I've put in, the hours I grinded, the sleepless <clears throat> nights, the days that I went hungry, all of that shit culminated in where I am today and I earned it, right? People like feeling like they earned everything around them. And yeah. when you hear that the things you have might not, own, that, that the percentage of what you've earned directly isn't 100, right? That does feel like an affront to people. It does feel like you're like, who are you to tell me that I've had it easy? And you'll find very often in these conversations, if you try and talk to a person about this, a white person about this, the the first thing that normally comes out, right? And it's almost like fucking clockwork. Someone will say, do you know how hard I've worked? It hasn't, no one gave me anything. You know, were you there when I did this? What A, B, C, like it's, but I start bringing out receipts, right? As if they're applying for the position in your life. And you're like, dude, no, I'm not saying anything like that. But just like you're saying, the simple acknowledgement that one's circumstances can be, like one's circumstances are wholly alien, right? But not only are they wholly alien, they're wholly alien to the point that they generate different experiences. And the, the fact that people can't acknowledge that your experiences are entirely as a result of your circumstances, that your future, your present, is like generated almost... The percentage of your input right, in your current circumstances cannot be divorced from the initial set circumstances that, were, that preceded you, that preceded your buy-in that preceded yeah. your ability, right? That there is, there was a story about your life that was written before you knew when to put down to it. And yeah. one day you wake up and you find yourself in a position where now you have to contribute to that tale. But in a very large portion, in a very large aspect of it, the, the preconditions for that tale <clears throat> were written long before you had any, any input, any buy-in into this. And that idea is very difficult to get across, I think, in, in large part, because when you, when you interact with people, right, um, the story that we tell, and especially in our circumstances, right, in, in countries that have this, this, this capitalistic lilt, right, the story that we tell in you, everybody, is you can be whatever you want, that anything you want, you can have if you work hard enough, if you're smart enough, if you grind hard enough. You can always do it. You can always make it happen, right? It's all Straight on you. On 
yeah it's great on paper it's great on paper the idea that everything's on you but but it's not right and now when you've been told your entire life that everything's on you it's it's not a comfortable experience to be confronted directly with with evidence to the contrary right with evidence of the fact that it wasn't on you and in fact that you could have you could have if you were in a different circumstance right you would not have been able to do what you what you've done now that, even with the same amount of input yeah that with the same input the same character drive the same intelligence the same ideas if we took you as as you are as an individual as you think you are right if you could somehow do that and just change your circumstances we would change the results your life would look radically different right and th- that acknowledgement isn't there but it's also very difficult to <clears throat> if somebody doesn't already understand that right it takes a lot to get them there this is one of this is one of those situations where it's like um trying to trying to explain mathematics to a chimpanzee right it's it's not like uh, like there there are number games for example right that chimpanzees can play right that these that these creatures can play but it takes a long time to get them to grasp the like you would take it would take a long time to get them to grasp the actual concept behind what you're trying to do with them and this is not to say that white people are, are chimpanzees even though we, we all are or also interesting tidbit every every human being who exists on the planet right now who isn't directly from Africa right has neanderthal dna in them so actually we are black people are more evolved than white people but that's a separate conversation but <laughs> i'm not going to indulge you no i will not indulge you <laughs> but but the point just being like it's hard to these are these are things that are just very difficult to get across right yeah. that like if somebody doesn't already understand this it's like how do you in your because I've only had personally right I've only had one time in my entire life that I've actually seen somebody move from not understanding this to understanding this and this process took it took me having to reveal a large portion of my own life story right um some extremely traumatic experiences and all your know, all that shit right to get them there however it doesn't feel to me like the the bar for reaching this level of of, of understanding should be, be the trauma of yeah. someone else's experience. So how do you yeah. think, what do you think we can do to try and make it just, just in the idea space to make this clear to people who don't already agree with it? Oh man, that is, that is the eternal question for any marginalized group because because eventually what ends up happening and I, and this is this is this is largely something that I've experienced myself um you end up being emotionally drained by trying to engage in these conversations mm. because what happens is um similarly to what happens to a white person uh, when 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 it feels like they're being attacked or when it feels like every every experience you're bringing up is an affront to their own experiences what happens to you as the person who's trying to engage and enlighten and at least shed some light into what what it means to be part of a marginalized group, right? Mm. Or at least a historically marginalized group. Um, what usually happens is, because this is a very, this is a very, this is a intellectually taxing enterprise. It is a an emotionally draining one because what happens is when you engage it feels like 
every single experience that you are bringing up is being dismissed offhand, nonchalantly even, mm. dismissed offhand as invalid. And when that happens, in some cases, it will give rise to, to an anger from the person who's trying to enlighten so it's very hard to, to think of a way, a better way to, to engage in these discussions because ultimately what happens is it feels like your experiences are being dismissed offhand as invalid. It feels like, it feels like you're talking to someone who's not willing to see or listen. Mm. And then at that point, it becomes, it, becomes a, it, it becomes an enterprise in futility. Like the, the exercise, is, it's a futile one. So I I don't I don't know how 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 we can broach the, the discussion of how different the default white experience is from the default black experience from the default experience of a woman from the default experience from anyone from a marginalized group I don't know how you how you tackle that because the default the default response from anyone from from the white group or at least the default response for most people being engaged is to not listen, mm. to not try and understand. I think we can probably draw inspiration from the gay community here because I know um, in my own path to where I am now, there was a large period of time when I was myself homophobic, um, or not even purely homophobic, but very dismissive of the experience of being a gay person, right? You know. You, you would always, like, I would always say that kind of, that, that shit of, oh, no, it's just a choice. What are you guys doing? It's a sin. Um, you know, so, it's just a phase. That kind of shit. So in large part, this was informed by, by your own um, religious bias at the time. It was, yes, it was largely informed by my own religious bias, right? But even before I, even, I left religion, this was another thing that, excuse me, um, that I left behind me in, in contact with, with actual gay people. Um, <clears throat> and the lesson I learned, uh, or rather the way I came out of it, right, even when I was uh, deeply Christian, um, how I was able to move away from that homophobia was just, you know, there's a great power in when you actively listen to someone, right, without, without the expectation of wanting to say anything, right? Yeah, without, just, without giving into the urge of confronting what they're saying. Yeah. Just entertaining the fact that there is this difference, right? And then just saying, all right, let's 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 see why you think you have this, right? Because so very, like, so, so so I actually remember, how old was I? I was like, oh God, maybe like 19 or something. And um, I asked somebody, I was like, okay, tell me, tell me why you're gay, right? Which, you know, in retrospect is really an idiotic question to ask anybody. <laughs> God. It's, 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 it's basically... Asking, it's basically like asking someone, "Why are you straight?" <laughs> it is, yeah, it is like asking someone why you're straight. But I didn't get that at the time, and fortunately for me, the person didn't do what they should have done and knock the fuck my knock my fucking head off. Um, <laughs> and then they just, you know, and they were just like, "Okay." Firstly, they did say to me, um, "I don't have a choice in the matter." But and then they, then they say something interesting, like, "Even if I could choose, I would choose to be this way because." It's part of who I am in these and these ways. And they didn't go into that thing of explaining to me their life story, but they just told me what it means to them to be themselves and how they could never, how unconscionable it would be 
to them the idea that something else to be not only to be something else but the idea that they could do better like they they felt like the maximum possible way that they could be themselves the best possible version of themselves included this fundamental thing and this is an idea i didn't get at the time it's obviously fucking obvious in retrospect but this is um I think the over the, the lesson which we should to, we should be able to do right. This is one of the things we probably should be able to do is teaching people, our children predominantly, but just people in general, that sometimes you need not have a vocal opinion. That sometimes it's actually okay to not have the final word or final say on any given subject, but to just to hear people out and say, let me let me hear what you say. I don't have to agree with you. I think this is part of the problem is that. We have this expectation that any any kind of discourse that takes place between individuals must leave with the winner or loser, right? We always have the zero-sum mentality when it comes to how we talk to one another. But being able to say, I don't, not even saying I don't agree with you, just being like hearing someone and say, okay, and then walking away. Like this is something that I actually rarely see when you <clears throat> see people in conflict with one another, right? And And you'll find very often, for example, that friends will actually have disagreements in their minds but won't vocalize them for the fear that it's going to turn into a fight that it's going to and i we i'm I'm sure we've all been in situations where vocalizing a disagreement turns into a fight but just the ability to disagree but also just to be like i don't have to agree with you like there's this expectation that anything that someone says you have to take on completely and say yep this is also my life this is exactly how i feel as well about everything but just the simple acknowledgement that people are people have different experiences people have different thoughts people have different stories and being okay with it and not expecting that life should be homogenous in that way yeah i mean um ultimately ultimately what it boils down to is moving away from from the binary idea that things are black and white. Mm. Non-black and white. But it's hard, dude, like to to find people who are not... You know how hard it is to actually disagree in public with someone? I got into a fight the other day because of, of, of this kind of thing. Well, not a physical fight, but uh, <laughs> it was a deep argument about, um, about blasphemy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we, we, we were, yeah, and in that argument, it's just because I felt like it was an argument that honestly wasn't worth having, right? Because the person was complaining about me uh, being blasphemous in the in the space around them, and I didn't feel it's a conversation worth having because I didn't think there's there's things that any given person around me will say and believe, and if they're not talking to me, or if it does, if it has zero effect on my life, the thing that they're saying. Um, there's time. Obviously, there's times when you have to challenge things when you hear something honestly salacious and honestly just like mind-bogglingly fucked up. But, mm-hmm. but in general, just there are times where you can just like leave it alone and say, well, okay, that person's in that in that corner doing their thing and not impacting on me in any material way. It becomes a problem when it clearly has an impact on the lives around you. But you know, if it does, if it doesn't, I feel like we can leave each other to believe stupid things or believe things that we don't agree with without it becoming a again like you're saying a, a binary situation where you are a bad person for holding that view or for believing that thing i do believe there are some views you can only hold if you are a bad person 
um, for example, like for example, the idea that men and women, or that men are or women are subservient to men in some way. I think you have to be a bad person to believe that. But there's a lot of things where you can give people the benefit of the benefit of benign neglect and leave you alone and say, "I'll think about." I'm not, I'm not even gonna think about this. I'm not even gonna entertain this. Leave it in 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 itself and move on. Speaking of of actually things that make you a bad person for believing right um <laughs> what do you think of this this view which i also think kind of makes you a bad person for believing this view that i've heard flouts floating around on the internet lately I'm, I'm not sure if you've heard about it but um the idea that you know the immigration immigration into europe and the immigration problem in general but yep. this this view that immigration is effectively the death knell of any given civilization or society listen <laughs> listen i don't i don't know if people are aware like I, okay so here's the thing right maybe there's maybe there's there's there's, there's practical reasons to and even this i say tentatively maybe there's practical reasons to to argue the merits of of um, of how immigration is carried out. Mm, agreed. But, 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 to argue that immigration immigration is the death of a nation is patently ridiculous, and I'll tell you why. Because literally, almost every single nation that exists is a nation founded by immigrants. The, do the, if, if the Americans think that that America, let me tell you how the Native Americans feel. <laughs> they're probably they're probably looking at them like a bunch of idiots. Um, if we if we're, if we're gonna bring in if we're gonna br- bring in Great Britain into this conversation, these are people. These are people that conquered other lands, and basically, and basically set set their flags on a whole bunch of lands like the idea that immigration is the death of of a nation is is patently ridiculous to me i agree it's i don't know like i've actually it's very hard most of the time right um like i understand that like you say there are practical limitations to immigration right obviously because any given nation there are the reality is that there's always finite resources and you have to manage how many people are in that space to distribute the finite resources amongst, right? It doesn't help to have everybody in one place because one place cannot sustain everybody. That's just a practical reality of it, right? But usually when we, when you hear somebody um, with the view that immigration will, will, will kill any given country, very rarely is, is it steeped in practicality, right? Most of the time yeah. people are going to talk about the, ethno- the ethnography, they're going to talk about the change in ideological stances, the change in culture, etc., right? Um, the idea being that there is some sort of sacredness to any given ethnic group or culture that should be protected at all costs. Not, I don't know, to me it feels like part of this is it's a, ref, it's a reflexive fear, right, of waking up one day and feeling like the people around you don't no longer quote-unquote no represent you no longer resemble you that's a much better word yes no longer resemble you right and 
the idea that going forward resemblance is something that actually should matter like it does matter right now right definitely and part of the, the reason why it matters is because we have to fix the problems that we've had before about who resembles whom in which given situation so like we we're talking about earlier within the gaming structures you can't have a situation where the the community of gamers don't resemble the place that the gamers are in but the overall idea that you can't feel comfortable in a place that no longer resembles you culturally and, and ethnically feels weird. I mean, I can, I can sort of get it if, if somebody's talking about a situation where they no longer feel like they are welcome in any given space. But, mm. but I don't think that that's a problem that is uniquely posed by immigration. Like, the timescale over which immigration will cause this problem, right, is it's not a lifetime. It's not like one day you're going to wake up. Like, it's not like any, any of us are going to wake up and find that Zimbabweans have just overrun the country and everything's Zimbabwean, right? Like, yeah. The if, if there's ever a time when Zimbabweans are the majority of the populace in South Africa, it's not in our lifetime. Like, not even remotely. It's not in our lifetime. It's not in our children's lifetime. This is going to take a while. And by the time we get there to the point where this is that it much of a problem. Our opinions won't matter. Our opinions won't matter. There will be different people then. The country will look different because it will be different. And they, whatever culture is theirs then will be theirs. It's going to have zero impact on ours right now. So it, it, it feels like this scaremongering thing. And you're like, guys, this actually isn't a problem. Like, if it's a problem, it's, it's a problem for your great-grandkids, not for you. So why worry about it to the extent that you're worrying about it right now? Like, that's, actually, that's actually a pretty, a pretty interesting um, idea. Uh, the idea that, I, I mean, I've, I've, I've never truly, I've never believed in it. But I think it's an interesting idea that, that anything that any culture, any societal group, um, that any traditions, those, <laughs> those concepts are sacred mm. to the point where, where shifting away from them is akin to, to blasphemy. <laughs> so that's, this is actually a conversation I was having yesterday. Um, we're talking specifically about... Um, circumcision and about going to the mountain as it were right Ooh. as a Tosa man right now Tosa man, I know this. <laughs> you know this right you are you you, you this is your life right now <laughs> the reason this came up right is because um there was there was an article we were reading about they were talking about licensing it right and making sure that um people have to attend specific courses etc etc right and so and you know they have they have the actual skills necessary mm. to carry out this shit now, in my view, personally, right, I don't think it's a cultural tradition worth keeping, right, personally. But I am in that camp as well. But if you must keep it, and if you must do this thing, right, then definitely there has to be a new way to reimagine it, right? There has to be a way in which you do it safely. Like, the, it has to be the case where any botch or any, per, any, any young man losing his penis or gaining some messed up infection during the process, right, is a legitimate aberration and it's not like just part of the um it shouldn't be a, a significant enough part of the statistics of people who go <clears> to the mountain right 
that we have to talk about it. It should be like, oh, that one guy, something fucked up happened to him, but it's not, it doesn't it's illustrate any norm. trend at all. Yeah, it's not the norm, right? So, but this is, and obviously attendance in that, right? Take it would be a conversation about how regulation must happen. And as a result, when you talk, whenever you talk about regulation, right, you have to involve the government or you have to involve some form of structure, right? Some official structure in order to manage how this is going to go down. And obviously people don't want to hear that there will be non-cultural influences that are regulating cultural practices. And to me, I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of cultural practices which we've abandoned for very good reason. And there hasn't been that much complaining about why we don't do it that way. For example, I think we can all agree that under almost all scenarios, monarchy is a bad idea, right? Culturally, and like, I'm not even talking about like, international monarchy, locally, just you're, in South Africa. Yeah, it's not the greatest thing at all. <laughs> we fucked up monarchy many times and we've all agreed basically collectively, let's... Let's not do this, right? There are a couple of holdouts in, in, in many places, but for the most part, this is something that we can usually get behind, right? But, um, and there's new ways for people to reimagine how to practice out the cultural idea of structural hierarchy within your community, right? And people have done this um, by having um, greater credence placed on the elder's decision in any given family structure, right? Rather than having them be king. Or in any given community, there are families that are somewhat more prominent in terms of their the words they say carry a greater weight and that sort of replaces the monarchy structure but in a way these cultures have evolved right and it feels like basically for, for me it feels like usually when cultures evolve organically there's little to no complaints about it at least not as vocal a complaint about it right but yeah. whenever you you vocally say this aspect of our culture must evolve that's when you get like insane pushback even though yeah, because, if you gave it the time, it might end up that way anyway. So, so the thing is, I, I think maybe the reason that there's that much opposition when it's a vocal thing um, and it's not happening organically is, once again, coming back to the idea of people feeling like you're attacking them. Mm. Um, it comes down to potentially people perceiving this, this suggestion as an affront to what they've already been doing, you're, it, to them it basically seems like you're, you're saying this this way you're doing it is the wrong way, mm. and people don't like hearing that or perceiving that as something that's coming from someone else, potentially someone who's even outside of this culture. And speaking of which, um, so so as as we've been mentioning cultural things, um, this this brings up the interesting. Um, interesting um, thing that's happened as far as as far as cultures go, and how how putting westernized religion because argue it as much as you may want, <laughs> organized religion, whereas we're talking about Christianity and all its numerous denominations. This is a very Western thing. Mm. Um, that we that we adopted. It's it's interesting to see how it affected cultural faith systems. Now, black people, for the most part, adopted this. 
Um, and there's still there's still quite a lot of holdouts to cultural faith systems, but it's interesting to see that Christianity or any other, I guess, Westernized denomination of Christianity was was basically embraced and led to led to cultural faith systems even being vilified. Now, this just to just to clarify my position, I also find cultural faith systems to also just be just be abhorrent to who I am <laughs> but, mm. but that's another conversation what are your thoughts on, on how how um, these faith systems that are essentially diametrically opposed to each other coexist within within this country that, well, that's actually I find something I find very interesting because you'll find that people are capable of actually holding what would on its face seem like completely um, op- opposite views or views that would appear to be incongruent with one another, but they find ways to hold them. So you'll find Christians who will appeal to the ancestors or you will find the deepest Catholics going to a Sangoma, that kind of thing. Yeah. And to me, I think it's more because what people did in embracing Christianity as a religious ideology, right? <clears throat> What they, as, as much as it became a part of our culture, right? What they started doing with the traditional belief systems is they shifted those into being more, more tied, like purely tied into the cultural framework, right? So you can no longer, it no longer became the case where you could believe this thing without being also without being Zulu, without being Tonga, etc. That becomes part of how you experience the culture itself. So. The culture be, like starts to orientate itself around the older traditional practices, whereas the ideology or the framework of how we think about the world now is now steeped in Christianity. So it's really interesting. I think what it's the, the thing for me that I find very interesting is how people have done this and they've done it in a way that you get to. I think the reason you do this is that you get to preserve particular tra- traditional beliefs, right? Because there's a lot of cultural, um, cultural traditions that you when you try and hang on to them purely for the sake of the culture right it's very difficult to justify and that's the one thing that religion is always very good at doing is giving you a good reason to continue doing something well past its sell-by date and what the traditional belief systems do is they also they allow you to do that with particular cultural norms you can keep them well past the point where the context within which they were born is relevant anymore but you can keep that because you still take on the traditional beliefs and even though you've changed your religious motivations in the rest of your life, traditionally and culturally, this this meme holds. And then and people and you can hold like it's people are very good at like um, diametric thinking. So you can be like, ah, when I choose to, you know, then I'll I'll be more Christian today, or I'll be more traditional the next day, and it's fine. Depending depending on what I need out of life um, on any given day, and you're allowed to do this. I think, honestly, I do think it's a good thing. And the reason I think it's a good thing is because it allows, it allows somebody who's willing to sit and really think about the situation, right, to see that inherently neither belief system has pure foundation, right, and that both of them are being held traditionally and that they're both being held as part of the cultural framework within which you live, Um and that allows you to divorce them from how you think about it, how you think about the world, um, rather than how you experience your family, experience where you're from, experience your culture, etc. So 
in that sense it's a good thing it's also a bad thing because you know you take on a lot of bullshit you say and do a lot of <laughs> insane things that you wouldn't do otherwise but it it if you if you're willing to do the hard job of like you were saying earlier questioning everything that you know and everything that you come from and everything you believe then it's 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 a good sample size it's good data right it's it's hard for example if you are completely steeped in christian tradition right it's harder for you to see the problems with christian tradition if you can't contrast it with other traditions but if you're in a situation where you have um, ancestral worship and christianity as part of the framework of how you identify culturally then if you really want to you can be like okay let's now let me sit compare and contrast and then in that comparing and contrasting you can be like oh okay both of them don't necessarily hold as much water as i thought they did you know maybe maybe there's something else maybe there's another way to think about this and it just it, it makes life a bit more interesting in that regard yeah i just think it's 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 very interesting cuz cuz the one thing the one thing you'll you'll come across specifically with organized religion is is absolutes mm. right and <clears throat> it's i find it interesting to see that um a lot of people are willing to bend absolutes for for whether it be the cultural the cultural side of their lives um or any other reasons and i guess that that, that points back to why i find it very difficult to even remotely <laughs> remotely hold hold on to to a lot of to a lot of the stuff i was raised up in mm-hmm. is how what's the word how contradictory um ideologies can be towards actual towards actual uh practical um living yeah that is very very true there's one thing though that actually the traditional beliefs do do that i think is is missing for when you do when you don't no longer have them and I'm, i'm saying this even from my personal experience is that it does give you a way to to connect with your forebears um in a way that's not necessarily accessible through Christian tradition or through living in the 21st century it gives you a connection to the past that you would otherwise lack and it's a lack i feel like personally because there are people in my life history who, doesn't speak history yeah. doesn't speak very much about us yes that is true history doesn't talk about us but traditions do right this is this is the only history you have <clears throat> this is the way we contextualize our memory contextualize our stories um it brings it it gives it life it gives it meaning right it removes the dryness of simply reading about particular people it makes it more real for you and yeah. when you cut that connection it starts to feel viscerally less real when you have to think about the world in different ways it's literally game changing when that happens and i know this from my own example like personally i've i've seen this happen in my own mind how that shift happens when you no longer have a traditional way to connect to the past you no longer have a cultural way rather to connect to the past and all you have now is is lifeless history it it loses its life it loses its texture it loses its richness right and if nothing else holding on to some of the traditional beliefs even though they are basically vacuous in terms of their their grounding it's that connection still matters and and losing it losing it is a problem losing it is a, is a is something 
that you cannot replace, that cannot be replicated elsewhere in the world, that you feel it when that happens to you. Um, it's a decision, it's honestly a decision I'm not sure is always a good one to make. Um, or rather it's not a good one to make if there's nothing else that can fill that space. So yeah. that space of being able to connect to your past, to your ancestors, to the reason how you came to be where you are today, there has to be tradition, traditional beliefs, especially like um, traditional religious beliefs seem to be the mechanism by which you can relate to your past in a way that you can't, that Christianity could, I, th I think the reason why they kept it because people realize that as as great as Christianity can be going forward and to connect us going forward, fine, great, but there's there's a way in which we've always connected to one another that cannot be replicated even by new beliefs. Even if we all agree with the new beliefs, there's mm -hmm. that old context is something that you need to be able to articulate. And that's why you have to keep the religious motivation because otherwise stories and texts can fall through the cracks um, and, that, and those cracks don't fulfill the role that that connection to your forebears gives you. Yeah. No, I, I guess I guess um, from a historical point of view, I guess there is some relevance. There is definitely some relevance. It's just man, some of the practices. <laughs> <laughs> the practices I agree are. I think this is okay. So for me, I think this is where where you can like tie it all together and say that the ideas, right, and what you think about it and how you use it to contextualize, to connect with the rest of your family and the rest of your culture, the rest of your society, that can be good, right? The problem generally comes in when um, specific ideas inform specific practices and specific actions in the world. And that's where we have issues. And I think this, this applies even not to traditional religions, but to the contemporary organized ones as well, is that like, there's some ideas which are good, some are bad, it's like whatever, believe what you want, but then when those beliefs start to have a direct impact into the world around you, that's when things get a bit dicey and that's when things get a bit like, uh, now we all have problems here, bro. Yeah, I, I, def I definitely think so. And I think ultimately one of, one of the biggest, um, at least in my eyes, one of the biggest failings of contemporary religion is is the lack of fluidity in, in terms of relevance i think maybe that's part of that's part of why some of us find it difficult to to remotely stay entrenched in in any organized religion because ultimately religions were were formed thousands of years ago mm. and formed in a time where i guess some of the stuff made sense but in context of, of where society is right now, where society is going, the texts, as far as, as, far as relevance, they lose it very quickly. Mm, I agree. Um, well, we've actually been at this for about two hours, so I think we can tie it off there. Thanks a lot <laughs> for your time, D. Um, no problem. Well, it's been good. I haven't, I haven't actually done a podcast in ages, and it feels good. I suspect you'll be back. I suspect this is not going to be the last time we speak. Definitely but, not. Um, do you do, do you want to tell people where they can they can find you on the social meets? I mean, you can follow me at Saint underscore underscore crazy underscore D. That's crazy with a K. 
Um, I mean, <laughs> I'm tentative about telling you my Facebooks <laughs> because we delved into relationship, but hey, Dimpua Maiki, so which will be an adventure for those who are not <laughs> who are not of African cultures. Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, well, thanks a lot, D. Guys, thanks for joining us, and that's episode three, and we're done. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you enjoyed what you heard, you can like us on YouTube, share on your favorite social media, and most importantly, give us feedback. Tell us what you liked, tell us what you didn't like, and tell us what you'd like to hear in future. But above all, give yourself a pat on the back and continue to have interesting conversations. <laughs>